what, what am I doing right now? I literally like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I hit record and then immediately opened up a comic book to just start reading. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Bro. What do you think I'm going to do? I have read so much goddamn like, shit. This is some w- weird version of cramming going on right now. Oh, I didn't ask you last time. How was your St. Patrick's Day? Still drunk. That's good. I uh, I posted on Facebook. Oh, wait, hold on. Go back. It was St. Patrick's Day? Yeah. Yes. March 17th. Oh, shit. I mean, who can remember? I'm so drunk. One time Melinda said, this is one of the funniest things Melinda's ever said to me. We got like super, ha- it was forever ago. It was like years ago. We got super hammered one night okay. and we woke up the next morning and I was like, oh man, I have the worst hangover. I feel terrible. How do you feel? And she said, oh, I don't have a hangover. I think I'm just dehydrated because I've got a headache and my stomach hurts. <laughs> and I was like, that's what a hangover is. It's all of those things. It's when you're so dehydrated, you get a headache and a stomach ache. I don't think I'm drunk. I just lost the ability to stand up. <laughs> I ended St. Patrick's Day sitting on the floor drunk eating mashed potatoes. Wait, this, this this last time or? Yeah, yes. Okay. I thought you were, part of me was like, you. I was waiting for you to be like, no, it's a done family tradition. <laughs> I mean, it kind of is. <laughs> I remember growing up getting drunk with my sister and mom and eating mashed potatoes on the floor. <laughs> It's one of the happiest memories I have. <laughs> you don't find this as funny as I do. I don't care. I've wait. If I have to explain the visual in my mind. You're also eating with just your hands. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's the tradition. It's an ancient Celtic tradition. They didn't have forks back then. Uh, <laughs> oh man. Welcome to the media lunch break, bringing you all of your comic geek and movie news all in the time it takes to eat a good sandwich and catch a bowl of Lucky Charms. I don't know, St. Patrick's Day, whatever. I <laughs> <laughs> name is Chris Treble. Alongside me, as always, is my co-host, Andrew the Man Bun Dunn. Please stop this. I put, I added a the to it this time. Did you notice that? Yeah, I've, I'm I'm just so happy about it. You got a the. You have a title now. You really couldn't think of like green beer. No. Yet you, you put catch a bowl of Lucky Charms. <laughs> That's what you do with that, right? Isn't the leprechaun running with a bowl of Lucky Charms? No. If I had to catch the bowl of Lucky Charms before I could eat it, I would be so much thinner. My gosh. Yeah, that'd be your main exercise. <laughs> And your main diet. Well, it is your main <laughs> diet. But anyway, not the point. Yeah. Do you still eat them with Guinness? Not the point. Anyway, what? Huh? Hmm? I have a really good St. Patrick's Day story. It's really long. We can make it into one of those bonus episodes we used to do if you want. I won't tell it now. Remind me at the end. I'll try and tell it. <laughs> okay. You can do it now if you want while we're talking about it. No. Now I built it up. Now I'm going to get off it. That's weird. Got into a weird state now. Andrew. 
Yeah. So, you know, we read a lot here. We read a lot of the comics of yeah. the comic book. Uh, so much that uh, I no longer enjoy it. Yep. Me three. So over the years, we uh, and actually this kind of goes almost towards the origin of this podcast because we started this basically because we ended up talking a lot over lunch and then giving each other things to read of like, oh, we like this guy. Oh, this this story line is really good. You should check this out. And over that, we've cultivated a couple of favorite writers of ours. And I think from time to time, what we'll do is we'll do kind of like a spotlight episode on some of our favorite writers. You know, we've talked about doing one on Matt Fraction. We've talked about doing one on um, who the fuck was the other one? There was Tom King. Tom King. That's the one I'm trying to think of. This is going really well so far, don't you think? (laughs) Yes. But today we're going to talk about one. A certain writer, Brian K. Vaughn, who's responsible for a number of really great series and, and titles, one of which is our utmo- one of our utmost favorites, if not our f- most favorite that we've talked about and mentioned a couple of times, Saga. And we just basically would thought we should go over some of his uh, his biography as far as a writer and some of the things he's written, what we've read, what we think, kind of point you in the direction, just kind of give a little light on somebody's work that we really admire. So let's start with this, but I think before we get into some of the titles that we've read and what we think and what they're about, you're better at this than I am, but do you have any like background info on Brian K. Vaughn you can share with the avid listener? I do. Excellent. Surprise, surprise. He was born in Cleveland. I say surprise, surprise, because that's where Why the Last Man takes place and Paper Girls takes place is in Cleveland, Ohio. And I, I remember, because I was born in Ohio, and like when I read it in Why the Last Man, I was like, Ohio? And then <laughs> Paper Girls, I was like, what the fuck, again? No one, you what know. What is with this guy? Yeah, why does this guy like Ohio? And I was like, I went to his Wikipedia page, and I was like, 10 to 1, he's from Ohio. I bet a million dollars he's fucking from Ohio. And sure enough, he's from Cleveland, Ohio. What a shock. This is an interesting thing. He cites Joss Whedon as an inspiration uh, when he was in high school for, like, being a writer. But when Vaughn graduated in 1994, Whedon had only worked on the shows Roseanne and Parenthood. So that's suspicious. <laughs> I didn't even know that. That's really funny. Yeah, because it says that, like, there's an article, there's an interview with him, and he said, oh, yeah, he was a big inspiration to me in high school. And then I was like, what? And I was like, what did he even, when did those shows come out that everyone knows Joss Whedon for? And I looked it up and it was like, yeah, no, it wasn't until like 94 or 95 that he started getting writing credits. Like he doesn't talk about his personal life very much and there's very little information about him out there. But I think he's married to a woman named Ruth McKee, who is a um, a playwright. I didn't recognize any of the plays that she's written, but uh, that's a thing. It looks like maybe she's done some shows at Abington Theater. Oh, cool. Yeah. And they have a dog named Hamburger, so there's that. They do, and uh, she's Canadian as well, which also explains... Well, like, then fuck her. He, I think he does, but the a lot of his uh, plays, a lot of his books take place in Canada. There's one that I've been meaning to read that looks like it came out around the same time as Paper Girl, so pretty recently. We Stand on Guard. It takes place in, like, the year 2114, right after the U.S. has invaded Canada. It's about, like, this rebel faction of Canadians trying to take back Canada from the U.S. And, like, the U.S. has, like, all these insane weapons of mass destruction, including, like, giant, like, Gundam mechs. 
You should check out the artwork, though, too, because it looks really interesting. Like, that front cover looks really cool. Yeah, I mean, it's a giant mech with an American flag kicking the crap out of a Canadian flag, and already I'm hooked. Our home and native land. Fuck those puck suckers, you know what I mean? True patriot love. And all our sons command. I shouldn't say that. My wife's Canadian. That's not true. She's from Michigan. What's the difference? (laughs) It's pretty close, actually. Yeah. I mean, if you were raised in Michigan, like 50% of your field trips were to Canada. And the other 50% were to Tim Hortons. (laughs) No, they were to Mackinac Island. No, because you got to wear a jacket there. I've never been to Mackinac Island. How often do you guys go to Michigan? At least once a year. And they keep threatening. Sorry, they keep offering to take me to Mackinac Island. (laughs) But they never do. And they're like, oh, it's fun fact. Mike Pence is like the only person to have driven a car on Mackinac Island in the past hundred years or something. Oh, yeah. Because uh, you're not allowed to. And it's a very like sacred thing of like, well, it's an old timey neighborhood. We like to keep the keep that appearance up and. Uh, and Mike Pence said, um, fuck you, and just drove his fucking car straight through Mackinac Island. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, they keep saying, and they're like, oh, Mackinac, it's so nice. It is so nice. We should take you there. It's so nice. You can't believe how nice Here's it is. Here's the thing. It's nice for Michigan. And I'm like, okay, let's go. And he's like, I'm like, let's go. And they're like, oh, it's so nice. We should go. We're not going to. And then they just don't. I'm like, what the fuck is this? The reason they don't is because you live in New York City. Mackinac Island is at best C-list New York City attractions. <laughs> I got good news for you. If you're listening out there and have never been to New York City, most of New York City is C-list New York City attractions. Okay, so not going to, you know, underwhelm me in any way capacity. <laughs> and you would know you're a tour guide. <laughs> oh, do I ever. Anyway, what the fuck were we talking about? Uh, Brian, Brian Kavon. Is that your child screaming in the background? Yes. Yes. Great. Well, because Sarah's not here and I'm doing this, so he's just going to have to fucking figure it out. (laughs) Don't you have like some scotch to give him or something? I gave him it all already. Oh, that's why he's crying. Because he wants more. Because it wasn't on the rocks. Like father, like son. So, where do we want to go from here? You want to talk about Why the Last Man? Let's talk about Why the Last Man. Yeah. So, actually, that's a good place to start because Frankie Vaughn wrote for The Big Two for a while. And he did The Runaways. That's one of his most notable ones. And he had some one shots. There's a like an omnibus or like a collection of his DC stuff that you can look up. But then he was one of the guys who really kind of broke out doing his own characters. And one of his big ones that he started was, with was Why the Last Man. And Why the Last Man is an interesting thing because it's Vertigo. It's a Vertigo imprint, which you'd think reading Why the Last Man, it's an image book, but it's not. Vertigo was like an imprint in DC. Why the Last Man, which is going to be getting a series order on something. I think Amazon. I don't know. And there's no way to look it up. So what do you want from me? Basically, what happens is in an instant, all of the men... In the world, actually, I shouldn't even say just all of the men, all the males of every species in an instant die and all double X chromosome beings are left on the planet, except a monkey and a man for one monkey and one male monkey and one man. And it is the 
Adventures of Yorick, who is the last man on Earth. Why the last man? Oh my gosh, his name is Yorick. I just got why. That's funny. I was going to ask, do they ever answer the question, why the last man? Oh. Why the last man? I'm glad we got that one out of the way early. <laughs> but Yorick, he first has to make his way all the way from Washington to San Francisco with a scientist to try and figure out why he is, in fact, the last man and what helped him to survive and if they can bring back humanity. And it's kind of a post-apocalyptic storyline essentially because the world instantly reverts back to you know the barter system and things like that because you're losing half of the population to be able to do a lot of the the things i'm about halfway through the entire run i'm about 30 issues in right now because i started reading it for the first time you had been reading it before me you weren't as blown away by this one as as other people have said no yeah i actually started reading it I started reading it months ago and kind of fell off. You know, there was, oh, I think it was like about a year ago I started reading it. And then like right around March of 2020, something happened. I don't remember what, but something big happened that like changed a bunch of stuff. And so like I kind of fell off of that. I also wasn't like super into it to begin with, but I was like, I want to give it another chance. I made it like halfway through the first deluxe volume, which is like they initially released 10 trade paperbacks. Uh, And then they released like they released the same series in five trade paperbacks, five deluxe trade paperbacks. Right. I gave it another chance. I just finished the second one. I might just because I love Brian K. Vaughn and I love all his other stuff. I might try to give it another chance, especially because it went on for so long. Like, I think part of it, I'm hoping that like because it, it ran from 2002 to 2008. And I'm hoping that like the stuff I don't like about it is that it's a product of its time from like 20 years ago, you know, and maybe when it gets to 12 years ago, that'll be a little less jarring for me. a threshold of some kind. Yeah. But for starters, like it's been two months since all the men died. Right. And it looks like a fucking fallout game. I did remember thinking that too. Yeah. I do remember thinking that too. Like the, the fucking like audacity of this guy, like, again, I love Brian K. Vaughn. I think he has other much more progressive things. So I don't know that either that this was his view or his opinion. Uh, it may have just been an idea like this is his idea, like not necessarily his idea of what would happen if all the men died. But here is one way it could go. Right. Or if he had this view and then maybe he changed a lot of his opinions and became a more progressive writer. Right. Because his other stuff is just like hyper progressive. But like the fucking audacity to think that if all the men just died all of a sudden, society would just fucking crumble. Right. Right. Like some stuff. Yeah, it would probably be pretty jarring at first. But the fact that like people are like eating bugs to survive and like there's like there's no electricity and shit like they've basically gone back to the Middle Ages. There's like in the second book, there's like a troop of traveling actors who like tell the story of the last man. Man. And it's like it's like they've resorted to being like cavemen. It's it's one of those things where I yeah, I see what you're saying. And I go in and out of that feeling with it. I think one of the things I was at least impressed with is that he did think through the science of, aside from the fact that if it was men or women that died off, the science of like, if half the population dies off, if we just lose half the manpower that it takes to run things, like what are the nitty gritty things that we often forget about that we take for granted that would stop like the detail of like 
All the men died in an instant. All the planes just crashed because most pilots are are men. But I'm also curious about the numbers that he gave because there's an introduction that says like 99% of pilots are men. And like may, maybe I need to look that because like maybe that was true in 2002, but it seems like a it, very, it seems very high. But I actually think in 2002 that was probably true or at least somewhat accurate. But I do but also know, like that one percent of pilots can't teach other female like, you know, like I, who who can't run the the like electric uh, into like company or whatever, th- you know? Right. But that's the thing is that I think with things like that, it wasn't he wasn't so much saying like, well, women wouldn't be able to do it. I think it's the idea of like you physically need like X number of people to do this. And we lost all of those people. Also, you don't some really of those things. No, no, this is all a hypoth. He's writing a story where all the men die in one instant. Yes, there's a very, there's a Right, right. But my point is that, like, if you only have half the people, then you only need half the electricity. True. So, like, the amount is congruent with, like, how many people can run a right, factory. But it's not the, you know? it's not the amount of, pro- of thing that they're putting out. I think it's the amount of people that it takes to actually work the factory. And now there are, so, so they can work half as many factories and half as many plants. True, but does it? But it works on a grid system, so you have to be within a certain area to in order to get the electricity. Right, going. but none of these places have electricity. <laughs> yes, I agree with you. I'm not saying. Listen, I I am agreeing with yeah, you yeah, as yeah. far as like, yeah. The, sometimes it, it was like, wow, this really took like a weirdly left turn, very very fast. Like the fucking White House is like it looks like an abandoned, like ransacked. Yeah, all the lights. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I will say, like, when it was the two-month stuff, I was actually more out of it than later on in the series when it was longer. Because it would, you know, two months, I was like, wow, that took a... Because it, it felt almost like a, like in an hour, everything just, yeah. like, went to shit. And then just stayed in that stasis Which for two also, months. Which, also, I've been thinking through this whole thing, like, Brian K. Vaughn... You know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Brian K. Vaughn didn't have the experience of, like, oh, no, we now know what it's like when the entire world... Shuts down. Shuts down. Right, and like exactly. essentially 70% of people lost their jobs. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the thing. I, I agree with you is like, here's, it's one of those things where I don't think he was trying to say like, yeah, if all the men were gone, where would you be without all the men? Yeah. <laughs> where would you be women? In fact, I think what he was trying to say is like, this is a problem. Like we're putting all sure. our eggs in one basket by not allowing women like the pilot, the pilot statistic is the thing that kind of hit it home. I was like, oh, that's true. Like the idea that so many men are pilots and next to no women are pilots and we're not working hard to make that more of an equality. Yeah. To encourage women to not only become pilots, but also like go into STEM fields. Exactly. And things like that is that you're putting all your eggs. If something happens, not like not that all the men would instantly die in like an instant, but something like that would were to happen. You're fucked because and really we fucked ourselves by doing by creating this patri- patriarchal system. I think that's what he was trying to do. But it does weave a fine line where 
it's very easy to read it the other way around. Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting perspective on it. I hadn't thought of that, that he's, yeah, it's not like an entitled, like, well, we're, we're so, we're doing all the work. It's more of a, like, you know, this does need to change. We need to start encouraging we need to start doing this. And uh, I think, girls because, at a young age. Right. And I think that's what he's saying. I don't think he's saying, like, oh, you, the women wouldn't be able to handle it. I think, like, again, with the electricity factory, he's like, no, if all the men died, like, you literally need a certain number of people to do this. And you have to, like, ha- have an equality in order to operate. You know, you have to be able to bring people back to the factory. Because also, people don't just instantly know how to do something. Like, that's the, you know, when people are like, oh, we'll go, we'll break it in a movie or something. They're like, we'll break into the electric factory and we'll turn on the lights. And I'm like, yeah, motherfucker, you have to go to school for that. That's a that's a really complicated thing that it takes a whole factory to do that people went to school to study that. Like, you can't just gather a bunch of souls up and just march them into the thing and turn turn on a bunch of light switches. You know, we have to educate people and bringing equality to these things like piloting and technology and medicine and, you know, and bringing equality into those fields makes us better because of things like this. I also like, like the product of its time stuff is like yes. some of the words a hundred percent that are used in it are like pretty hard. Like not even, not even like, I'm not even like that makes this bad or whatever, but like every time yep. I don't even want to say them like the R word or like the other F word, like the, the homophobic slur. There was another one too that I saw that I was like, uh, oh uh, yeah, the like T word for a transgender person, like the shorthand offensive version. Like a- every time, and I'm always like, it just takes me out of the story a little bit. Where right. I'm like, why are all these people using these words from all these different places? Because they're traveling across the country. Like 2002 was kind of a long time ago, but I think it's more just that like Brian K. Vaughn was probably those are probably words that he used at the time, and it was sort of a different time. It wasn't great to use those but it was much more acceptable and it was still like way more acceptable to like make fun of someone for being gay or whatever which you see a little bit of in in one of the issues um and i think it's a product of like all it's before he was able to like really put his voice into multiple um beings in one story i think a lot of these characters yeah because they all kind of sound the same yeah i i think all these characters most of the characters in why the last man basically sound like brian k vaughn yes 100 percent. but as far as like a good like a i don't want to say first sounding because you've been writing for a while but like your first thing that you put out that's like your own original characters i'm like this is pretty damn good to to make your mark you know and it's a pretty ingenious idea. He cut his teeth on Marvel and DC. Right, exactly. It's amazing that he like straight out of like he he graduated and then he took like some writing class with Stan Lee, Lee or something yeah. teaching it. Yes. And then like immediately was just like, here, have have a writing job at Marvel. And then he wrote like for Batman and shit. And then eventually he was like, well, I'd really like to uh, write my own stuff. So he started doing that. Right. Uh, another thing I, do, I dislike about Why the Last Man is um, I find it extremely formulaic. And it may change later. Mm-hmm. But so far, four different times, Yorick and his crew find themselves like in the new part of town that they're like rocking up to or whatever. And there's a like good group of women who are like, well, we're just trying to get along. But there's this other group of women who are all bad guys and they're either the Amazons or the daughters of the something the or sons the, of arizona right sons of arizona and then there's there's like a that happens like four times and every time there's like some sort of obstacle with them that like oh if only we could 
Go for it. And every time someone from the good group, one of the good one of the women from the good group ends up dying and that like leads Yorick to like save the thing and like I have to go to and it's extremely formulaic so far for me. Yeah, I get that. I think he's trying to give it kind of a western feel so it's like yeah. you roll into town and I get that. But it does because you've created this giant problem of all the men are dead and only the women survive. It does only lend itself to like, well, this is kind of the only storyline you can do. Let's roll into town. And then there's a group of women that need help and another group of women that are hurting them. And then we save the day and then we roll on out again. That was the thing I bumped on the most is more than like society going to shit is like the forming of these weird groups, these extremist groups in like two months were really organized like the Amazons is a really organized group for two months in utter chaos that in two months, this woman convinced all of all these, these women, women to, to cut, cut off, off one of their breasts. breasts. Yes. And that they're going to kill, they're going to burn all the sperm banks and all this other stuff. In like, two, two months. months. I know. And in two months where even in 2002, there's no electricity. There's no real internet. There's no cell phones they talk about. There's no social media. There's no way of, there's no huge digital platform or a huge platform to put your word out to a mass of people. Yeah. You know, this isn't like QAnon where they're on like Facebook and you can reach a, bu- a million idiots. This is just a woman walking around going, follow, follow me. me. Yeah. And I'm like, in two months, they, they did that. Like either that or he's trying to say how even QAnon took longer than two right. months with all right. that stuff. Either that or Brian K. Vaughn is saying like women are very impressive and they can get all this done. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, or they're very gullible, one or the other, right? I also wanted to say that Agent 355 is, like, terrible at her job. (laughs) Three different times, she's on a train and gets knocked off of the train. And one of those times, she, like, hits her head on a rock. Rock, Like, the doctor has to go, like, looking for help for her. And I'm just like, why are you so bad at this? Yeah, uh, it is. I mean, I am interested to finish it. I I will say this. It sets up... A problem where that is so intriguing to me that at least I will keep it one. I still want to keep going with it. I don't yet. Yeah. Uh, but it keeps me because I keep going like, well, will they solve it? Like, will they get another dude? I don't know. Like, it's enough that I'm like, OK, I'll give it. Let's I give guess it I more. just don't care that much about it. I also don't really feel anything for any of the characters like York's kind of a dickhead. No, I don't feel much. When I first yeah. was reading it, I started taking a tally of how many pop culture references he does. And it's like three a page or something is the average. And I was like, that's so much. That's the only thing that sets him apart dialogue wise from any other character. Yes. It's like his one characteristic. Okay, let's go on to something else. Have you ever read anything of Ex Machina? No. Neither have I, but I have heard very good is things. Is the movie based on the Brian K. Vaughn story? No, it's not. Oh. No, I know what you're talking about. No, it's completely not even close to related. So, but I have, this is actually after I get done with Why the Last Man, this might be the next thing I start. Ex Machina is a a story of a superhero known as the Great Machine who helps during the September 11th attacks and because of that, he becomes so beloved, he has elected the mayor of New York City. And then the plot's interwoven between him being in office and then flashbacks from him as an actual superhero. And, you know, him navigating, like, being in political situations and then also being 
superpowered, but then why is he, how did he get his superpowers? And then because he's in the political machine now, like them investigating, how does he get his, his superpowers? And what is that, you know, was it orchestrated as a stunt? Was it blah, 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 blah. But it sounds really fascinating to me. And it's one that I, like I said, this is probably going to be the next thing that I want to dive into after I get done with why the last man. That's funny. Cause I had one of those two of his that I was like really interested in. I was kind of thinking about that. I've already forgotten the name of it, but the Canadian war one. But the, there's one that uh, when I was looking up articles about Brian K. Vaughn, right. there was one that was like, hey, uh, as a personal note, like the writer was like, I love Brian K. Vaughn's work. If you ever get the chance to read Pride of Baghdad, that's the one that like I would suggest. And that's one that I'm, I've am i been thinking I think I'll probably look into next. Yeah, I was just reading about that one and I haven't I had never heard about that until. Yeah, I hadn't either. Uh, it's evidently about um, a semi true story or it's based on a true story of when uh, uh, Baghdad in 2003 invaded Iraq as part of that. Like it was a U.S. led coalition that like to- part of the Iraq war that like totally fucked up everything. And when they invaded, they like let all the animals in the zoos loose. Or whatever. So like these lions are just like roaming the streets in this story and they take on personalities and depending on where they came from and with their experiences, they all start to embody different viewpoints on the Iraq war. Right. Right. Which sounds interesting. It sounds really interesting. It reminds me of uh, of the play Bengal Tiger in the Baghdad Zoo. I was at first I was like, is that based on the is the play based on the thing? <laughs> oh, we also did a lot of um, just kind of going through almost in like a. uh chronological order then uh ended up actually doing a lot of tv writing he was a lost for a while yeah he got that because of why the last man because of why the last man yeah because lindelof was a was a huge fan of why the last man and so he got that and he you know he was actually uh he was a showrunner on under the dome which is a um stephen king which i've read the book i've never seen the series book is the book's really good it's stand-esque so if you like this stand, you'll like it, but it's also kind of like the stand light, but it is good. Sarah keeps walking back and forth and then giving me eyes or something. What's going on? Oh, I, th- I thought you were giving eyes because of me. Our kid's not sleeping. Should, I, should we put him on the mic? He's already on the mic. Yeah. I, Andrew can, can hear him. Our kid cries so loud it crosses state lines. <laughs> you want to say hi to America? Wow. I couldn't even... Wow. Anyway. Wow. That was. Wow. That's a great Owen Wilson impression. Wow. Remember? We did that. Remember? Wow. 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 Oh, wow. Wow. That wasn't quite. Wow. The fuck were we talking about? Oh, Lost and Under the Dome. So is Under the Dome anything like The Running Man? No. So Because that's the only book I know by Stephen King, because my mom used to read that to me at night. At night when you went to bed. Yeah. Yes. Um. And the and you used to she used to say and the character from the Running Man. <laughs> no, under the dome. Have you really not read a lot of Stephen King? This is off topic, but whatever. I've read a decent amount of Stephen King. I basically I I reading was always really hard for me growing up. It's one of the reasons I got into comics is because like there's fewer words and more pictures, and so like even like reading plays and shit was always really hard for me. But that was also easier than reading like big books as well because there's no like you can kind of skip the stage directions. There's just dialogue. Yeah, yeah, you can skim through it. Yeah, I've read some of the ones that were like easier. Like the Green Mile is a lot easier to get through. I read The Shining. I think I might have read Christine or Cujo. I think I read, but like his bigger stuff, I like. I, I I've tried so many times to read The Stand, 
and and like it as well. They're just so fucking big. Yeah. The Under the Dome is also huge. It's like a thousand pages. Yeah. But Under the Dome is basically it is a small town. I would assume it's a small town in Maine. It's always a small town in Maine that wakes up one morning and there's literally a dome, a clear dome that is put over the town. And it's partially about figuring out why the dome is there and how it got there. And then the other half is really just the politics of the town that take over of like who's in charge of the town and what's going on. And it sounds very similar to the mist. It is. It, it is very similar to the mist. Also written by Stephen King. But I can see these two shows. I could see just from his writing of like why the last man. And even as we get into it, is saga and paper girls, because he's very good at kind of weaving an, uh, an apposition. Uh, what the fuck am I saying? An epidition. An epidition. Weaving this exposition into the storyline as, as a crucial part of the fabric of it. The way that Lost did present day scenes and then flashbacks and things like that. The way that like even Why the Last Man, you know, it starts off in present day. And the first few issues actually start off like now, two months ago, and then it builds up and things like that. The way that he doles out exposition as a storytelling technique, these type of shows like lend itself to that. So I can see why he would be a good fit for shows like like Lost or Under the Dome. Yeah. One, uh, he's known as being the single handedly the person who redeemed Lost in its third season. Right. Right. Who really kind of brought it back into something kind of spectacular. Yeah. Uh, Okay. let's go to Paper Girls. Let's do this. Because we've mentioned Paper Girls before. It's getting, I think it's going to be on Amazon, right? I think so, yeah. It is getting a series order for Paper Girls. Why don't you give them a brief, like, plot summary of Paper Girls? Sure. Or as far as, like, like a setup of the plot. Paper Girls is an interesting book series. It's hard for me to summarize it because I, I, again, I haven't, I've only read maybe a third of it and it goes all over the place. Like the entire thing is. And so it's, I've always recommended it to people who like Stranger Things. Right. It's very similar to Stranger Things. It's except it's, it's like the girls is, uh, instead of like this group of boys. And they, it's about these young teenage girls. I think they're maybe like 12 who run a paper route. Right. When the story opens, it's Halloween in this like little tiny town. A suburb of Cleveland, Ohio, because of, it's written by Brian K. Vaughn. It's Halloween. It's the middle of the night, and they're having trouble. The police are giving them a hard time. High schoolers are giving them a hard time. And then these, like, super weird guys show up and, like, rob. Like, they steal some stuff from the girls, like a walkie-talkie. and It's 1988, by the way. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. Because, like, Stranger Things-ish. Is, I just assumed that everyone knew what that meant, but probably not. Yeah, it's the 80s. Just to make sure. Just we're, co- we're covering our It's back our when newspapers still existed. Oh, right. They're newspaper <laughs> And uh, they're not throwing iPads up on people's porches. And uh, they discover that these they hunt these guys down. They chase them down to get their stuff back. And they find out that they're time travelers and that they're also at war with, like, another sect of time travelers. But these time travelers like ride dinosaurs and also have like futuristic space armor, whereas the ones that they have hunted down to like get their stuff back are sort of like dressed like 
old like medieval rogues and they have like these black like ninja cloaks and stuff. They also have like weird eye pupils and their skin is super deformed. It gets crazy. It gets very crazy. Right. And uh, you don't really know that they're time travelers at first. I believe the end of the first issue Like, at first, you're just sort of seeing all these weird things happen, and then at the end of the first issue, on the ground, they see that one of these three dudes in the ninja outfits has dropped some sort of apple product, and they have no idea what it is, and it's a small apple product, it's probably the size of, like, an iPhone or a shuffle or something, and they're like, what is this? And they're even like, this is the same logo that's on the computers in school, but, like, this couldn't be a computer, right? I mean... Computers are are big, bulky items. There's no way that one could fit in the palm of your hand, uh, and that's sort of where it picks up from there. Yeah, and from there it just gets it just gets crazier and crazier. I've read this all the way through. You've how, how, two volumes. I, I've just okay. gotten to the point where they two, have out of five, six. Right? I think they've just reconnected with KJ. Okay, I read this a few months ago. I read this actually at the like beginning of the pandemic. I think. As someone who's currently reading it and is in the middle of it, how are you liking it so far? I really like it. Here's the thing. I have a concern with Brian K. Vaughan because as soon as I found out that he was one of the writers of Lost, I immediately was like, oh, no questions are going to be answered. Of of all these books that I'm reading, no questions are going to be answered. They're just going to open up all this weird shit, and then it's just going to end, and they're going to say, oh, well, it's going to it's gonna turn out that it was in like a warehouse or a factory or something, and oh, well, it's, it doesn't matter. So that's my concern with it, but it's hard for me to give a judgment in that regard this early on. But of the stuff that I have seen, assuming it resolves in a satisfying way, is real cool. Everything is super weird. There's a great moment. Uh, no spoilers, but essentially there's a, there's a character comes into contact with another version of themselves, like an older version of themselves because it's time travel. And then when they find they find a message that one of the that someone has left for them and it says, don't trust the other version of yourself. And the girl gets like real wigged out. And then a third one shows up and she's like, which one am I supposed to not trust? Right. And it, it gets so crazy and so wild. It is. It, get, it gets bonkers and it get and it just keeps going more from there. I'm really enjoying it so far. Yeah. It opens itself up to in a way that. You're like, Brian K. Vaughn is working on a different intellectual level to be able to just keep all these balls in the air when you're when you're reading it, because it does. It is like it's time travelers fighting other time travelers that are from an earlier stage in time or a later stage. Like you really have to. It is very dense in that way. As far as we always talk about the science of time travel in books or in movies or anything, it's so easy for it to fall down on itself, to poke holes in it. This thing, I can't. Break it down. I'm not saying he found like a good way to write about time travel. I think he's just thrown in so much stuff in there that I'm like, I don't even know where to start. It just gets crazier and crazier and crazier. Uh, I can't wait to finish it. There's a great moment where one of the like the leader of one of the time travel battalions says, what year did they go to? And the person answers 2016. And he says, that's the year my mother was born. And it's just like weird shit where you're like, oh, my God. Yeah, that's how that's how far, you're like. Oh, so that's how far ahead we are. Can I read for you the reception of Paper Girls of like some of the reviews that came out about it? Please do. Vox has called Paper Girls, quote, the next great American comic book. Which is interesting. It's also good to note that it just wrapped up like two years ago in 2019. So it's still pretty fresh. And Slate, this is a review that I really loved. 
And this is such a good review that, like, if I wasn't already reading it, if I wasn't going to keep reading it, this would make me change my mind. Slate stated that the series is, quote, a reminder of how fresh and accessible even the most familiar stories and tropes can feel when people who have consigned to the sidelines of popular entertainment take center stage. That's a really good summary of what it is. I've really loved this series. I actually want to give it another reread. Another reread? That's not... English. Yeah, that would be the third time you've read it. That would be the third time, which I haven't done yet. This is something I need to read again. One, because I enjoyed it and I want to go through it again. But two, I think it's going to be one of those ones that, you know, the more you read it and the more you're like, all right, I know it's coming, so I don't have to focus on that. I could just kind of live in this world and kind of break down, okay, these people are here and this is where it is here. Because it does, it is it has this weird onion layer to it. Where it just keeps unfolding another layer, another layer, another layer. And that all those layers is basically time travel. It's all just like another layer of time, another layer of time. Yeah, I'm interested to, after I finish it, go back and read it again just to see like, because I I get the feeling that things are going to happen that make the things at the beginning make sense. A hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, he pays off everything. There is no thing that is left dangling. Like it's not it. I will. Spoil that much for you. It is not a lost scenario where you're like, there's a million questions and no answers. He eventually takes all those onion layers and puts them back onto themselves very neatly. But to get there, you go all the way down to get to the very center. It's crazy. Yeah, that that's one that I definitely can't recommend highly enough. I'm fascinated to see how they do it for television. I mean, just seeing the artwork and, th- and not that they're going to base the artwork or the, the television series on the artwork and everything, but just seeing how bonkers and crazy it gets. If they're doing as straight an adaptation as they possibly can, the budget alone is like Zack Snyder level budget. You know what I mean? Like it's huge. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of like monsters too. Like there's stuff where like during time travel, I forget what she calls there's it. Dinosaurs. There's freaking like, yeah, yeah. But even the like during time travel, I forget what she calls it, but one of the characters is like, Oh, yeah. Some of the stuff that came with me, like the the size of them changed because of some setting on the time travel device. So, like, there's like two tardigrades that are like 400 feet tall battling each other. That's right. I forgot about those. Yes. And there's like maggots that are like digging through the garbage and shit that are like five feet long. So to just see them that visually is going to be interesting. The one thing I'm disappointed in about the series is that it's in Amazon Prime. And not Netflix. The reason being is I've always felt like, and I think I mentioned this before, I've always felt like this, if you want to do a Stranger Things spinoff, I would love to do a backdoor pilot episode, Paper Girls, Stranger Things kind of crossover, and then use that as the backdoor pilot to the Paper Girls series. That being in the same fabric, I think would work really well. You could have Millie Bobby Brown be one of the Paper Girls. Right. Exactly. Oh, my. That'd be cool. That'd be insane. Yeah, she would be because there's what four paper girls in the series, right? Yeah. So have her be a fifth, and then she fucks off and goes back to where she, you know what I mean? And then sure, yeah, or even I was gonna say she could just be one of them, keep her on the series. Yeah, Yeah. but it gets yeah, it's really interesting. It gets crazy. All right, time for the big Kahuna. Yeah. Okay. So before Paper Girls in 2012. Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples launched a series that has become very near and dear to both Andrews and I heart. And that is a series called Saga. 
Saga is. Uh, first of all, it's the what it's like the best thing you've ever given me. Like as a not just as something to read, but like as a <laughs> gift to being part of my life. It's that good. I often tell people if you need like a one liner to describe what Saga is to people, I say it's R rated Star Wars. That is like the best kind of just one liner I can give it is it's if you like Star Wars, it's like an R rated Star Wars. It would maybe even NC-17 Star Wars, possibly X rated Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) I always tell people it's Romeo and Juliet in space. That's a that's another good one liner. I will also that oh, I would definitely support that one as well. But basically what it is, it is the story of two characters who come from rivaling planets. Actually, one is a moon and one is a planet. But the there is a planet. The planet has a moon. This the people that live on the moon are at war with the people on the planet. And this war has grown because war is profitable, uh, it has grown and escalated so much that it stretches throughout the galaxy. And now the entire galaxy is at war with each other. These two characters, who are, one is from the planet, one is from the moon, meet a man and a woman. They meet, they fall in love, and they have a child. I'm not really spoiling anything. This is all within the first issue. They have a child, and immediately both sides find out that this child exists and they realize that if this child exists and word gets out that this child exists, then people will start to go, well, then what are we fighting over? If these two can get along, maybe we can all get along. And the, the symbolism that this child holds is such a great threat that everyone is now trying to kill this child. And it is the family going on the run And is basically, even though there's a lot of tension to it and a lot of suspense to it because of them being on the run, at its core, it is the story of a family trying to find its way and just a girl trying to grow up. Like I said, it's suspenseful. It's engaging. It's heartbreaking at times. It is romantic. It is all the things that you want a great story to be. It is one of those comics, and then I'll let Andrew speak as well, and I'll stop gushing over it. But it is one of those comics when people hear that you read comics and they go, oh, comics, this is one of the things you can give them that shuts them up because it is that damn good. It is not just comic. This is literature. That's uh, that's something similar to what I was going to say, which is a lot of people come up to me and they're like, hey, you read comics. You know, I love the Marvel movies. Uh, I love, you know, like I love the old Christian Bale Batman movies. I'd love to get into comics, but they're so daunting. Like there's so much. I don't know where to start. I don't know what to like. Well, there's like 600 issues of something. I, I don't know what where to be. Do I have to start in the 40s or whatever, you know, to understand what's going on? And like, unless they're dead set on like, no, I want to read Iron Man or no, I want to read Batman or whatever. What I usually say is start with this run of this comic called Saga. It's a graphic novel, but it was still it's released in issues the same way that comics are. But it started pretty recently uh, and they've taken a break and it is the most emotionally accessible piece of comic book literature that I have ever found in my life. It still makes me tear up when I read it. I've read it two or three times now. It's just beautiful. The art, it's interesting too, because like I've watched some interviews with Brian K. Vaughn 
about Saga. And we should point out as well, it's not finished yet. They are exactly halfway through the story. There's going to be 108 issues. There's currently 54. And they they were very proud that they were able to release every single issue on time. They had no delays uh, with the last run. So they're trying to bank enough that they can do the same thing with the next set because they're both very busy people, especially Brian K. Vaughn. I wonder how much of Saga's greatness uh, and how specifically how good it is comes from Fiona Staples, the artist, because Brian K. Vaughn is a decent writer and I like his writing. But like one, the artwork is just fucking incredible. The specificity to like emotions in your face and gestures. Yes. And the weirdness of characters that don't look like they should be able to be alive. It is incredible. Uh, and yet they are. It's It's something that like. Star Wars had in the original trilogy where you walk into the cantina for the first time and see all these weird creatures. Right. And, you, and you're just enraptured by what you see. Yeah. You're just mesmerized by all these things, except it's every page. It's a buffet of the visual. Yeah. Yeah. And it's every page. But also I brought up the interviews because there's an interview where he says he gives a lot of credit to her for how good the run is. And I think part of it is because, for example, Gus. Yeah. Who's my favorite character. Yes, he is. Yeah, you love him. I looked. I couldn't find. I was going to put a bunch of stuff on the shelf behind me for the people watching uh, on Patreon. But uh, I can't find it. It's in a box somewhere still. Because I have like a stuffed animal. I have like a pin. I think I have a shirt somewhere. I think you do. Yeah. I think I've been there when you you buy this stuff. But Gus was a character that Fiona Staples scribbled on a napkin and took a picture on her phone and texted it to him and said, hey, uh, I just like this little guy that I just doodled. Could he fit into the story somewhere? Right. And Brian K. Vaughn was like, we'll figure it out. I like him, too. And yeah. he's quickly become a fan favorite. There's also stuff like it's been praised for how diverse and progressive it is. And Brian K. Vaughn passes that also to Fiona Staples and says a lot of that is because she decides what they look like. There's a transgender character in the show, in the series, and I predict that um, it probably wasn't going to be because the first time you see this person – is because uh, is she's in the shower and you just see like full frontal nudity and she has both breasts and a penis and then it's it's like well now it has to it's that's it Fiona Fiona drew it that way so like that's what it is you know the characters are so incredibly interesting the themes of this series include uh, escapism in entertainment drug addiction. Chasing after people who don't want you anymore, trauma and like post-traumatic stress disorder and and like sexual addictions. And it just it's incredible. And like like infidelity is a theme as well. And not to mention war. And uh, it, it every single issue tackles some incredibly difficult topic. It takes big swings and they do it. Deftly. Absolutely. That's the best way to put it. I think what makes this so beautiful, and I think you're onto something when talking about Fiona Staples as well, but I think what makes this work and sing a little more than all of his other works is that when you read this, it does feel like a 50-50 collaboration. You know, like Why the Last Man is is good, but they, you know, from arc to arc, it changes artists a little bit, but the, the voice is consistent like we talked about it's clearly brian k vaughn writing this and then just getting whatever artist is there to draw whatever he's written 
this feels like a collaboration. This you can feel, you know, Brian K. Vaughn writes something and then Fiona draws it and then Brian K. Vaughn sees how she's drawn it and then builds upon that. And then she sees what he's written and creates something beautiful out of it. And then she's, he sees that and then draws upon that. You know what I mean? It is a back and forth, a push a pull. It's like watching the writer and artist do this kind of wonderful dance through this story of I'm going to take what you're giving me and I'm going to I'm going to make it sing. I'm not going to show off myself as a writer and just let you doodle something down to, and vice versa. She's not extravagant in while well, her art is absolutely gorgeous and there's so many times when you it turn doesn't the, take away from the story it doesn't take away from the story you never go well i just want to flip through and like look at the pictures like it is always i need to read this and see what comes next and there are so many times when the story builds to a page and you turn and you go oh my god i never would have imagined that's what what i'm gonna find on the next page there's two things too that are interesting that go hand in hand together that i think brian k vaughn knows He's kind of at the will of Fiona Staples in this he is. because say, for example, the next issue comes out and it looks like why the last man. Right. I'd be so disappointed. Oh, 100 percent. Like not that there's anything wrong with it. Right. It's just normal. And like there's nothing about the artwork and saga that is normal. It's yeah. about as far from normal as you can get. Everything is insane looking. And it must take just hours and hours and hours of designing and editing and like filling in and coloring. And I don't know how she does it. And additionally, so like I, th- I predict that they know that. I suspect that they are aware of that, how important the art is. And in an interview, I saw Brian K. Vaughn mentioned that like there are things that Fiona won't draw. And he's like, like she was like right out of the gate after reading this. I'm not going to let Lion Cat die. She was like, it's not going to happen. It wasn't in the script. It wasn't in the dialogue. But she was like, if it comes to that. If I'm the artist, I'm going to draw a little bubble over his head because he's not dying while I'm the artist. If you don't like it, you can get someone else. Like, it really interesting uh, that, like, she has that kind of input and power on this show. Yes. And that's the thing is that, like I said, it, it is this you do get that feeling of like, yeah, this is a collaboration. They have an investment. Each of them have an investment in the characters and they respect each other. And what's ref- and they you can tell that there's a respect there because neither of them are moving on past the project. When I was reading it for the first time, my biggest fear was what typically happens with a good comic that I love is that, you know, I'm more I am typically more of a writer person than an artist person when I'm looking for something good to read. Same. Some people are vice versa. But I but you and I are kind of the same in that we we prefer the writers over the artists. But so many times I'm reading something that I'm loving because it's great writing, but also paired with really great artwork. And then and this typically happens in like a Marvel or a DC because the story, it has to just keep going. But then they change a, to a different story arc and the artist changes. And I go, ah, now it's not quite. I don't know. It's just not quite the same. It's something different. And my biggest fear is that one of these times I was going to open up Saga and see new artwork. And it never happened in 50. What is it now? 54 issues. 54. In 54 issues, it never happened. And we got all the way to I I thought it was the finish line. And then I both 
was unhappy and happy that it was not <laughs> the finish line Yeah, to find that we made it all the way through the first half of the game with both of them intact. And the fact that they are going on such a break as much as it kills me that it's on a break and they keep saying, oh, yeah, no, it's coming back. Don't worry, it's coming back. And everyone's like, when? And they're like, it's coming back. It's, it's definitely t- coming back. The fact that they're waiting so that they can make sure that they're the two that take it across the finish line. Yeah. Brings me great joy because it. I know that I. it's something that I can at least rely on, you know, so much when it comes to comics like people go it's so it's such an expensive hobby and you never know what you're going to get and you're plopping down three bucks for an issue and then you don't like it and now you're just stuck you know saga is the one thing that you can read and you can go i don't even know what's going to happen the next issue doesn't matter it's automatically going to be worth my money i'm going to get something out of it it's never a disappointment i think fiona staples is the only artist that I've been like, I got to look up with this person's. I got to find more. I got to find more artwork of this, yeah, this person. She's, yes. She's one of the few artists that I'm like, I know her. She's one of the few artists I look at and go, I'm pretty sure that's Fiona Staples. And I'm I'm usually right. The only other artist I've ever noticed is, I don't even remember his name, but the guy who did um, Tom King's runs on, uh, he did Vision, right? Vision and uh, Mr. Miracle. Uh, Yes. I know the artist did. I don't remember who did, who wrote yeah, oh, oh, the vision, but yes, he did the vision and Mr. Miracle. Yeah. But I know the artist was the same as right, well. Right. In the vision and Mr. Miracle. And I remember lo- watching that, like reading through that and being like, oh yeah, I really like this art, but it's, it's just not the same thing. Right. Like there's something about the art of saga that's like so personal and intimate. Yes. And yet so extravagant and explosive. It is. Uh, that's a good word to use, explosive. But at the same time, you do feel like, and I mean this in a good way, like you can see the pencil lines. You know what I mean? Like it yeah. is that quick kind of rush, these slashing lines that come through it that really that make it sing. Yeah. Yeah. If you've never read it, if you've never picked up an issue, just read all of just it. Just do it. Yeah. Just don't even don't even wait. Don't dip your toe. Dive into the deep yeah. end. And I, I was actually introduced to this series in a similar way that you were a friend of mine who's like a big comic book guy. He I think he like writes. Oh, no, I think he does tech reviews now, but I think he used to write like an independent comic and right. he has like a tattoo of the comic that he wrote on his shoulder and shit like real like deep into it guy. Right. He was like. You got to read Saga. And I was like, yeah, I know. And he was like, no, you really have to do it. And I was like, yeah, I know. And like every time we would hang out, he'd be like, have you read Saga yet? And I'd be, I'd have to be like, no, I haven't read Saga yet. And then I got a text from him that was like, hey, I have an extra ticket to Comic-Con just for today. And it was like, do you want to like get here ASAP? And then you'll have like three or four hours at Comic-Con. And I'd never been before. And I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. Like, I'll hang out with you at Comic-Con. I've never been. Right. Uh, this is at New York Comic-Con. So like I went. And uh, we were hanging out. I had no idea what I had no idea what to expect. I'd never been to a comic convention in my life, and so he's basically just dragging me around. And eventually, he's like, "Oh, hang on a second, I got to go pick something up." And I was like, "Okay, whatever." Assuming it was some large amount of cocaine, right? And he uh, he runs off, and I'm just standing there by myself, like basically with my dick in my hand, not knowing what it, what's going on around me. And he comes back, and he goes, "Oh, hey." I just bought this for you. And it's the first trade paperback of Saga. And he was like, you can thank me later. Of course. And I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. Now I got to find time to read this. And he's this. like, I'm going to go into this panel and you sit your ass here and you read this. Yes. 
Yeah, basically. But I was like, oh, I got to find time to fucking read this thing. Like, who knows if I'm even going to like it? Like, I've heard it's good, but who knows? It's it's the most incre- it's one of the most incredible pieces of entertainment that I've ever consumed. Yes, 100 percent. Time magazine refers to the series as a breakout hit, calling it mischievous, vulgar and gloriously in- intentive. Oh, sorry. Gloriously inventive. It also is intentive, too. I know. <laughs> it's also one of those series that as vulgar <laughs> and it is and as graphic as it is. It's st- it's backed up by a storyline that you feel like you could give to anyone. Not kids, anyone, but yeah, like yes. someone who, if you're like there's someone there's a person I know, like I I feel like I could give this to my wife. I've almost I've actually recommended it to my wife. I was like, yeah. I'll, you got to go in knowing like it's really graphic. You know, there's a lot of nudity and cursing and things like that. But the storyline is so sweeping and so epic and so beautiful that it does it. You know, people who would not normally be into something like this would be into this. Yeah. Yeah. One of the greatest things I've ever I've easily ever read that I think is going to be that it's weird because we kind of did a reading assignment for each other. Am I up or are you up? I gave you the boys. Then you suggested we do this. Yeah. And you didn't even read anything. I read why the last man. I read 30 issues of why the last man. I've already read two of the things we've talked about i read over two thousand pages of comics for this i did too i just did it before we did the reading assignment (laughs) you just did it like a year ago right right so let me see if you have something for me you can give me something i think i have some i'm sure that i do i have some because i have something i could give to you but it might be better to wait okay because they're uh I, I I want to have like shortly assign Cowboy Bebop to you because it. it looks like the film or show, whatever the live action version they're doing on Netflix just finished shooting. So it's probably going to be uh, coming out fairly soon. Right. But we can do that next time. Let's do. You got nothing. No, no, no. You got I do fucking have... nothing. I do have stuff. I just got to figure. Please out. give me an ice cream to review. Rocky Road. How much of it? Remind me again. I know you did some of Scott's. No, you did the Court of Owls, right? The last time. Yep. So I think the next one is Death of the Family. Let's okay. do that. Let's. That'll be a good one to do. Sounds good. I think it's Death of the Family, not Death in the Family. Because those are two Batman storylines. I think it's Death in the Family. I, whatever I'll I have it so we'll figure it out I'm literally gonna look it up right now while we're doing this because isn't the one where he's holding Robin and screaming or whatever no that's death in the family that's from like the 80s or am I thinking of Captain America holding Bucky uh you're also thinking of that as well death of the family what the whole family yep death of the family Christ cool all right let's get the Fuck out of here. I got it. I, I literally actually have something I have to do as soon as we get off of here. So, wow. Uh, my night is not over. Yay. Yet. Yeah. Oh, a radio show that I worked on, co-directed and edited and was in Ooh. is going to PBS NPR. That's amazing. Yeah. Right. Wow. So I have to work on that because they were like, 
it's got to be 54 minutes long and it's 56 minutes long. And I'm like, how am I going to cut two minutes off of this? And then I cut one minute and they were like, actually, 56 minutes is fine. And I'm like, so I got to go like, oh, you're also in this radio play. <laughs> I forgot. I, oh, that's right. I am. This is that thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did any of my alternate takes make it in? Uh-huh. Really? Yeah. Oh, I. <laughs> you're going to laugh at this. You play... At least two different characters, I think three different characters. Yeah. And you gave me extras at the end of your... As I always do, because I'm a professional. (laughs) You gave me four different ones that were all jokes. They were all just stupid, funny things. Yes. They are all Easter eggs in the thing. That's amazing. If you can can find them. can, Can you name one of the Easter eggs that's in there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they in the show, they one of the people talks about going to see Bob Hope at the the. Yeah. Okay. Another one you're gonna say. Yeah. yeah. And, and you're and you literally are like you'll do Dave. You'll never guess what I just saw Bob Hope and Bing Crosby doing behind the tree. Yeah. Or whatever. And I just make it like it's while she's walking away. So I just sort of make it fade out. So you're like, oh, Dave, you'll never guess what I saw uh, Bob Hope and Bing Crosby. Wait, and then just sort of fades out. That actually has Bob Hope in it. Yes, I didn't even know that. I just that's what I just said. I know there's a part where she talks about going to see Bob Hope, and so you hear him like doing his thing, and then uh, then applause, and then you say something about Bob Hope. You you had a thing about uh, I've told you guys, I've told you once. If I told you a thousand times, don't if you if you play with it, it's gonna go off or something like that. (laughs) And I cut the last part out. And there's one as well that where you're like, oh, guys, who who farted in the something something foxhole or something? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's a part where one of the characters is talking about how these guys would come in to the rec center and they were allowed to play any games they want. They could play pool. They could play poker as long as they were quiet. So I just cut a bunch of the like I cut out the like offensive parts like about farting or or like if you if you play with it, it's going to go off. And I just put them all in there and I made you get louder and louder until she says as long as they were quiet. And then you just cut. That's amazing. You're also the magician. That's awesome. You're also. Uh, I am the magician. You're a driver of a truck. Wow. I'm really versatile. Uh-huh. I'm so good. You sound exactly the same as every character. Because I'm all the characters, apparently. <laughs> That's awesome. That's incredible. All right. Cool. Yeah. So you're going to be on PBS. You can put that on your resume. I'm 100% putting this on my resume. All right, that's uh, that's it. That's uh, that's yeah, all we, we did it. Yeah. Oh, hey, Andrew. What? Hey, Andrew. Oh God, what? Hey, Andrew. <gasps> hey, Andrew. What? Wait, 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 wait. Yes. Where can they find us? Well, they can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on iHeartRadio, where we fucking are right now, motherfuckers. You can listen to us on SoundCloud.com slash The Media Lunch Break. You can follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at Media Lunch Break. And we, of course, recently just passed 4,000 uh, tw- hey, Twitter followers. Thank you. Thank you all so Welcome much. Welcome to the void, baby. I think we're going to do a giveaway pretty <gasps> soon. One of our patented giveaways. That. It's going to be smaller than most of them because fuck you guys. <laughs> now there's four thousand of you. We have we have to feed you all equally. Yes, we got to save enough for everyone. You can also find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. Our handle is at the Media Lunch Break. All the words separated by underscores. You can find us on YouTube.com/slash The Media Lunch Break. Go to our Patreon. Go to our Patreon right now. Yes, right now, right now. 
It's pa- Oh, I didn't tell you where it is. It's patreon.com slash the media lunch break. And it's a great little place. We have a lot of fun there. Yeah. Chris has never been, but I have fun. We post these videos. We do videos of every episode and we post them up there for a certain tier of patrons. So in a way, I have been there. You have been. Your essence has made its way there. That's correct. That's the only good part of me anyway. It's, that's also where I posted the uh, super cut of you saying um to clown music or whatever. <laughs> so yeah, we get some fun stuff on there every now and then. So check it out. It's not all for just for people who pay. Some stuff you can go on there and just there's some free stuff for you to look at. Just peruse. Yeah, to peruse. Peruse. Just window shop. You can also, if you have any questions... You have any inquiries you want to ask? I, hey, the saga thing sounds cool. Where can I get it? I would probably say you're a fucking idiot. You can get it. I mean, the internet's a good place. There's comic books. You probably pick it up at fucking Barnes and Noble. So if you want that answer, you can email us at the oh, media we can lunch. Send break. it to you in text form over <laughs> Patreon. Yeah, you can. You can email us. You can email us yeah. at themedialunchbreak at gmail and we'll call you a fucking idiot over the email. You can also visit our website if you want to listen to stuff there or check out our bios, which are very funny. I don't know if you remember our bios, Chris, on our website, but they're they're exceptionally funny. They are pretty good. And that's uh, themedialunchbreak.com. Rate and review us on iTunes and on SoundCloud. You can also uh, go to our uh, a YouTube page and subscribe or like yes, a video. all of that helps tremendously. It does. Write a comment. It actually does make a difference. Write it a really comment does. that tells us how bad you think we're doing. Right, but give it a five-star review, and that's fine. If you don't like a YouTube video, like give it the thumbs down. That's fine. And uh, last but certainly not least, special thank you and a shout-out to our great friend, Julie. Thanks, Julie. And thank all of you for listening and for following us on Twitter or on Facebook or on Instagram. We appreciate it a lot. We got a huge bump after we uploaded, not to get too technical, we uh, we linked our RSS feed to a bunch of new places, which basically just means you can listen to us at a bunch of new places, like iHeartRadio. Oh. So uh, if you're coming from there, thanks for, for sticking with us. Right, right, right. Welcome aboard the SS shitty yeah, podcast. Uh, we'll try not to let you down, but no promises. <laughs> <laughs> but chances are we already have. Yay. And that's it. Awesome. That's and that's it. That's we did a show. I was gonna say something about very quick. Oh, send us a message, an email, a text a text. What the fuck? A tweet. Anything. You just heard me struggle to find something for Andrew to read during the reading assignment. If you're listening to this and you're like Hey, that was great that you went on for eight hours about Saga, but what about this, motherfuckers? You guys should be reading this. Send it over. We'll read it. We'll review it. We'll give it a try. Yeah. Chris has so much free time now that he's a two-child dad. It takes a lot of work to be an absentee father to two children. (laughs) But I'm just the man for the job. (laughs) All right, guys, that is it. We are getting out of here. Next time is going to be another thing. We'll figure it out. What are we going to talk about? Fuck if I know. We'll figure it out, and then we'll probably statistically probably WandaVision again. Why not? Let's just take it back to the ones. You know. All right, <laughs> that's it. We're done. I'm done. Yay. Yay! Wait, do you want to hear my St. Patrick's Day story now? Yes. Okay. All right. Here's the St. Patrick's Day story. You can put this as a as a bonus thing. All right. So it was. Let's see. I think I had just graduated college. All right. I was living in this apartment with a buddy of mine. And 
I was at work during the day and then I, he was like, hey, uh, we're all we're all going out to like uh, we're all going out to somewhere uh, for St. Patrick's Day tonight. Do you want to come? And I was like, yeah, I'll totally come. And he's like, OK, I'll let you know. Like, and by the way, this is like before texting. OK, I had cell phones, but no texting. This, I was like, yeah, let me know where you guys are going to be. Totally. Absolutely. So I get there. I get home from work. No one is there. And I was like, all right, well, I'll wait. Like, they'll probably call at some point. Right. And I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Nobody calls. I try calling this guy's phone. He doesn't pick up. I try calling other people. No one's picking up. No one picks up my call. I'm alone on St. Patrick's Day. And I was like, fuck this holiday. I fucking hate this holiday. It's a holiday for fucking drunk people. And I hate drunk people. And fuck them. And fuck everyone. And so I go to bed angry. So in the middle of the night, my roommate comes home. He's hammered. Okay? He is wasted, right? He comes home. He comes into the bedroom. Now, our beds are like across the room from each other, but we're sharing the room, right? He comes into the door. He's absolutely wasted. I hear him come in and I was like, fuck this guy. I'm not even going to whatever. The lights are already out. I'm trying to go to sleep, whatever. And all of a sudden I hear, I think he's like getting undressed. He'll like get changed or whatever, or just get into bed. And he takes off his pants And then I just hear what sounds to be, without looking, like someone is slowly pouring water onto the floor. And I turn over and he is pissing on the floor. And I get up and I'm like, dude, you're pissing on the floor. And he's like, no, man, it's cool, man. Don't worry about it. No, that's cool. I was like, no, it's not cool. You're pissing on the floor right now. What the fuck are you doing? You're pissing on our floor right now. And he's like, no, man, it's so, it's fine. No, no, it's fine. I'm so, it's so good. It's Washington, D.C. is so good. I was like, what are you talking about? You, I, what are you even saying right now? And then I, and I'm like watching and there's like a, a stream of urine that is on the floor that is slowly crawling his way on the floor and I'm watching and I'm watching and I'm like, I'm going to have to clean this up now because this guy's so incoherent. He's just going to like get into bed and he get, and he just gets into bed and he go and he like goes to sleep. And I was like, there's a puddle of piss on the floor right now. It's just going <laughs> to sit there. I got to go clean this guy's piss up now. What the fuck is this? And I watch and it like stopped all of a sudden. Like, you know how, it fl- how like liquids flow and then they'll just stop because they just stop. And it stopped and it sat there and I was like, right, it's not going to hit anything of mine. So you know what? Fuck it. I'm going back to bed. This guy's going to have to deal with it. I'm not cleaning this guy's up. Fuck St. Patrick's Day and fuck the Irish. I'm going to bed. And so I roll over and I go to sleep. And it could have been an hour later. Could have been three hours later. I don't know. But at some point I wake up to the sound of what sounds like a person Pouring a cup of water onto some sort of fabric. And I roll over and I was like, dude, you're pissed. And I look and he is standing on his own bed. Pissing. (laughs) Onto his own pillow. (laughs) And I watched him do this. (laughs) And then I just thought. No, I'm not going to say anything. (laughs) And he just 
lay down and went back to sleep. And so did I. And I woke up the next morning and I saw him and I was like, how you feeling, bud? And he's like, oh, man, that was rough. And I was like, do you remember anything that happened last night? And he goes, no. And I was like, huh. You pissed on your own bed. <laughs> and you slept in it. <laughs> and he goes, oh, man, I thought that was sweat. Oh, and I was like, no, buddy, that was piss. And I went, buddy. you know what else? You pissed on the floor. And he goes, and, and then he looks at me and he goes, oh, like this realization came over him. And I was like, what happened? And he goes, I had a pile of clothes sitting on the floor and they were all wet. And I couldn't figure out why that explains it. And that's why I hate St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> Top of the morning to you. 